Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my faithful co-host, Sean Gray. Hello. And we are here to talk to you and everybody else uh, about the Bahrain Grand Prix of 2018, which turned out to be a bit of a barnstormer. There Who was, wasn't it? it? Do you know, Bahrain's becoming a bit like Hungary, whereas you just go into it always expecting it to be kind of rubbish. And then I think there's been a couple of good ones in the last few years, actually, in Bahrain. Certainly, they always give us a a few talking points. So, yeah, this was good. This was really, really good. And even in qualifying was good because I kind of went into qualifying looking for Mercedes dominance and it just didn't, didn't transpire. So right away, that put me sort of thinking, okay, we've got a... We've got a bit of a race on here, whereas you know after qualifying in Melbourne, it was like, oh no, we're they're five tenths clear. <laughs> yeah, so, but no, so right away, straight off the bat from the the start of the weekend, it was like, okay, you know, we could be onto something here. I thought the nice thing about coming out of Collie was that um, it felt kind of um, it felt pretty even. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like. Australia, where the Mercedes was six, you know, six tenths ahead of the Ferrari, and you thought, well, I can't see that sort of happening. It was, you know, the Ferraris looked really good, and then suddenly in sort of Q3, both the Mercedes seemed to sort of like find a little bit of extra pace yeah. and and make a make a sort of race out of it. So that was um... absolutely, and you had um, the added dimension, of course, of Lewis's grid penalty. Um... Which added added a little bit of spicer because you were obviously seeing how far down he was going to end up ultimately. So if he took pole, then you think sixth in the grid, not too bad. But it could have quite easily been fourth in the grid for Lewis. Was it fourth in the end or was it third? Yeah, it was remember. fourth. Yeah, he didn't get yeah. ahead of Bottas. So you know that added a little bit of spice finding out exactly where Lewis was going to end up because you knew first few laps in the race he'd be trying to find his way through the field which is always you know always interesting and then max of course as well um his incident so you had going into the race weekend you had a ferrari that was perhaps a little bit faster than than we maybe first thought and you had max and lewis coming through the field so yeah what's not to love about this barring grand prix yeah no absolutely um i guess we should probably start really by talking about what uh, the, the what finished the race really, um, rather than all the uh, start. Although I guess it's did they say forty three overtakes in the first ten laps or something ridiculous? <laughs> if there was us doom mongering after Albert Park about what, about seven. overtakes. <laughs> seven yeah. the whole race. <laughs> it was frantic. It was so frantic the first few laps, especially with especially with the midfield, the, the McLarens and the Renaults and and all these guys just seemed to be. Of course, you had, like I said, you had Lewis coming through them as well. So that added a whole other layer that you wouldn't normally get. Like Lewis's overtake, where he'd done the three in the one corner. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Does that count as one or three? Like, I'm not sure. That's a good point. It was one actually. move, but, <laughs> but three counts. I'm not 100% sure about that. No, uh, yeah. So definitely more exciting. Definitely we're, we're a bit cheerier on the whole race to race overtaking front i think this week i think you'd agree um with... yeah absolutely uh, like 
it kind of makes me go, oh, if we can have a decent Bahrain Grand Prix, then, you know... That Can't be too bad. Like the rest should of the mean should be okay. that the good races in the rest of the season should be better. Do you know what I mean? And you know, so some races you can't save. You can't save Russia really and and Abu Dhabi. They're always just going to be yep. what what they are. But you know, some of the other ones in the middle, which sometimes can be a bit, you know, on and off. You might be like, oh, yeah, you know, my, like like um like Britain. You know, like Silverstone. I, I love it. I love the track and stuff. But sometimes it's not the greatest race on earth. Yep, but usually okay. when you're in having a good season, it's a great Grand Prix. It's interesting that Australia was as kind of poor as it was then, because that's normally throws up a half decent race. But... I think the I think the problem that you've got with Australia is because it's the first one of the season. A everybody's extra hype, so it gets a it gets a little grace I think from everybody on that. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's the first race, so naturally the teams are all a little bit over, all over the place as they sort of you know get themselves back into the swing of things. So I think that's what leads to some of the un- unpredictability and why some of the races are maybe slightly better than the track kind of allows. Um, because, you know, people are finding the limits of the car, racing it full on against other cars for the first time uh, in the season. So, it, it, you know, there's a little bit of um, rust coming off of everybody over the, from the winter break, I think, which, which, which gives it the opportunity to be a bit more interesting than maybe if you'd put it in the middle of the season where everybody knew exactly you know how all the tires worked, how you know what the pit stops are like, and all the other the other bits and pieces. Uh, it's it, it, it benefits from that definitely. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, should we talk about the winner then? Well, we, I think we should. Yeah, absolutely. Fifty uh, points from fifty points. That's, I'm sitting uh, I, here with a big smile on my face. As I <laughs> well, I think as as you should, really. Um, it's uh, the thing I've liked about both of these wins is that um, they've both come from strategic calls by Ferrari. Although I guess you could potentially say that you know the virtual safety car in Melbourne wasn't a strategic decision. He was going to pit under the VSC anyway, and the fact that it worked out so well for him, you know, is less about Ferrari choosing to come in then. But still. You know, it's all about making the right calls at the right time and being on it, and you know, Vettel being on it to to take advantage of it. And and this one was the opposite way around, where um, you wondered if maybe they'd, you know, allowed themselves to be complacent and thinking um, two stops was the way that everybody was going to go, uh, except maybe Lewis because he'd started down the grid, but he was always going to be from behind, so they didn't have to cover him off so much, um, and. I think they there was an element of luck in it. Uh, a in Vettel being quite so masterful about keeping the tires going, but I think that the initial pace of the other runners who jumped onto the mediums first um, gave Mercedes a false sense of how fast that tire is, and I don't think it was as fast for as long as they thought it was going to be. Even with even with Bottas being so close at the end. He didn't have the kind of pace advantage you'd, you'd have expected of somebody who had been running medium tires for um, the length of time he had. You'd have expected there to be more in them to give him the chance to really sort of close up on Vettel, and he and he didn't. And I think that's not a Bottas thing. I think that was the tires not not giving the time consistently. I think they gave up a lot at the start and then became very average thereafter. 
Yeah, and, and Vettel's tyres were completely shot to pieces as well. Like he said oh, that yeah. after the race, and you could tell the way he was driving. They were, what, 39 laps old or something? Yeah. And a tyre that's max is supposed to be 30-ish. So you're, he said it on the radio, they were completely gone for the last 10 laps. He was driving on ice. And even though Bottas closed up to him, it didn't really look like at any point he was going to breeze past them in the way that maybe we were used to seeing a couple of years ago when somebody was coming up to pass someone who was on significantly older tires. They used to be able to, what you know the cliff that they always talked about when Pirelli first came. People were just walking past the the guy with the the, the old tires, and on this occasion, Bottas was able to cr- close up right to the back and easily within DRS on more than one occasion, yet still couldn't get past. Do you put that down to the mediums just not being as good? Then, I or... think so. I think um, I think was it like Alonso was one of the first to strap him on and look to change um, and was very quick at that point in the Grand Prix. Um, but I wonder if maybe um, I'm and, and I'm assuming this somewhat because they didn't really talk about it during the race. But I'm assuming the temperature f- continues to fall off of the track, and I wonder if when Alonso put them on was like the the track was still at a temperature where it it suited the tyre. And then as the night wore on and the track got cooler and cooler, it was more difficult to keep the temperature in the tyres to really give them the, the correct operating window, maybe. It's either that or um, they went through too much of the the good stuff early on. And so even when, you know, coming the end of the race, there wasn't the thickness of tread left to really give Bottas the chance to breeze past as like you say that you would expect yeah. somebody to do on that kind of gap of tyres um, Vettel was managing the situation really well as well you know using the the airs the or whatever whatever toys he's got at his disposable uh, disposal sorry, in the you know in the right areas to sort of counter counteract the the DRS of Bottas which is what you've got to do in that situation when you're defending for your life and oh yeah and you you, you couldn't you, ha- you couldn't have you any have complaints with the way he drove like no and you and you have to say that's um that's the the driver part of it you know it's one thing to say oh maybe he couldn't because of the tires and bits and pieces but Vell did everything that he could do to not make it um a simple pass job yep. for for Bottas um Absolutely. And for you say what you like about Seb, but that's one thing that you would rank him right up there. He, you know, the, the racing brain, the intelligent brain that he's got um, at, at the wheel to has always been one of his strengths. And you sometimes hear him on the radio with Ferrari, you know, when they're discussing strategy and stuff. And he's one of the drivers that will be the first to say, no, no, I think we should do this. Or I think we should do that. You know, he's always thinking about what's going on around him and things like that. So, you know, if, you had a man in that situation for your life, he would be at the top of at the top of the list. You'd probably want in that position. So, yeah, it was it was a cracking drive. And if it wasn't for maybe Pierre Gasly, he probably would have been driver of the day. But um, yeah, you, yeah, you'd have to probably state that that's you know that was a great a great drive, great recovery drive from from where he was. Especially, um, you know, he didn't have the greatest first lap either. It's not like he. Um, jumped off the start line and, and overtook four people on the on the thing to get, you know, right up there. He was, um, he got overtaken by Alonso on the first lap. So, you know, it, it really wasn't um, a, a fun time. Just um, um, on Bottas then, so you, obviously you've made your case for thinking that the tyres probably weren't as good as, as they were. Do you think if Lewis is in the position that Bottas was in, he would have got past? Would he have stuck a dandier move down the inside? Or I think Lewis probably would have been 
more aggressive. Um, I think it's at a point in the season where Bottas can't really afford, especially after um, you know bidding it in the wall in uh, Australia, where he's he can really afford to throw away a second place uh, mm-hmm. and hand it to Lewis because it just it puts him further behind um, his teammate. Uh, and you know, I, I think that's an that that sort of Alan Prost mindset. I think there is, I'll see what I can do. If I can't, then I'd rather take second and yeah, not, yeah. you know, not take anything. Um, he, you know, he took an he took a few risks like that in the previous couple of seasons, um, especially the 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 you know um, with Kimi in the in the mm-hmm. in the Ferrari, both in the Williams and the Mercedes. And I think maybe he's learned from that that um what is it um something is the better part of valor discretion is the better part of valor sometimes um fair enough yeah just because i've seen a few comments after the race oh you know lewis would have got past or that was max you know all this sort of thing and it's like yeah well max, it's, it's difficult to say isn't it max, max didn't finish the race because he did something exactly like that so you know it goes yeah. both ways you know so and I think Lewis probably would have gone for the move, whether he'd have, you know, whether it would have been as clean as you'd, you know, he'd have wanted to, I don't know. I think he'd have probably gone for it, you know, and that's just the difference, I think, between where Bottas is as a driver and where Hamilton is a driver. You know, Hamilton is a four-time world champion, confident in all of his abilities, confident with his position in the team and what he's fighting for. Bottas is struggling to settle into the team, make his position secure and then work from there. He, you know, he can't be smashing into Vettel, even if it gives Lewis the uh, championship points for the team. It's no good for him, and it doesn't really, you know, it's it's if it had been a case that you know he'd have taken out um, Vettel uh, and Hamilton comes in first, and Raikkonen had still been in and finished second. It's not that much money, you know. It's not like there's that many more points for the team, so it doesn't. It's better for Mercedes, especially with Raikkonen out, for both of them to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, constructors wise so at least that that's the way i see it i think yeah, i wouldn't enough. be too harsh him in in this case for the rest of the season i'd like to see him up the aggression levels <laughs> comparatively but fair enough um and lewis then funny weekend for lewis really finishing a third um obviously with reckoning coming out kind of off isn't the that, pace in quality it's a bit like lewis isn't it um just to throw in a dud one here and there yeah um I think he was. I think Australia hit him harder than I think people expect. You know, he was. You know, oh, I did it to wipe that smile off of your face after quali. And I think if he'd have won, then that supreme confidence filters into this race, having done it and then sort of lost, and then come into the weekend, found that the Ferrari is quicker than than them on track. Um, then the grid penalty which was obviously not his fault but just adds to the you know well it doesn't really matter what I do I'm not going to do well in this race he doesn't seem when it piles up on him a bit like that I I sometimes feel maybe he can't shrug it off in the way that he'd like to suggest he can Um, and he will have it's it's what allowed Nico to win the championship realistically you know was when it snowballed on on Lewis It, it it got away from him and it took him a while to come back. So he needs, he needs a strong China, really. That's what it comes down to. He needs a strong Chinese Grand Prix and then he can build on that. But if they don't, and it's not like Ferrari have been bad around China, 
It, no, that should, not, that should probably suit Ferrari, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it could be a, a tricky start to the season, and then he's got to he's got to really pick himself up for um, whatever's after China. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, he, he seemed to get past the sort of the midfield straightforward. You would expect that in the Mercedes. <clears throat> But at no point from sort of the first 10 laps onwards did he ever look like making any inroads on the, the two Ferraris or Bottas, really. Um, even when Kimi went like out before that, it didn't look like Lewis was going to be able to cruise up and just pass Kimi at any point. And obviously his radio messages seemed to be getting confused with the, with the pit wall. I don't know whether there was technical problems or what, but they didn't seem to be able to communicate very well. And, and like you say, his attitude and his, his tone of voice in the on the radio just seemed to suggest would back up what you were sort of saying about just not feeling, you know, mentally at ease with the weekend. Um, so yeah, it is, it does throw one of them in, um, for, but for every one of those kind of weekends, he, he has his quality lap in Australia and that's, mm-hmm. that, is what, that is what you kind of get with him. You know, you do get that. You get absolutely unparalleled genius and then you might get a flat one. And, he got, and this was a flat one. And I think he said on the podium, third place, um, given that he had a pretty naff weekend, I think he's quite happy with that and go out there with, you know, the least possible damage done, really. Yeah, it's the, the you know, it's the case of nicking that late draw, isn't it, in football? Do you know what I mean? Yep, that's it. You, you, you were going to lose, but actually you ended up managing to, to make the most out of it, go home, re- regroup and come back fresh, hopefully, for the next one. Yep, I think so. So... What that does for the championship, even at this early stage, so I think Seb's on 50, obviously having two wins, and Lewis will be on, I think, is it 32, 33, something like that? I think so. I think so. Already, already, Vettel's got a little bit of a lead, and I'm a long way to go, obviously. But like you say, I agree with you. Lewis could, could do with a strong China. If he doesn't win, he could do with you know, finishing ahead of Sebastian anyway, just to mm-hmm. give him that little bit of confidence back up going into the, going into the season. Because if Lewis comes second and Seb wins in China, Already, that's a race victory in front for Vettel after three races. So, yeah, like say, a, quick, a, it quickly snowballs. Question. Yeah, it quickly snowballs. What else was happening then? Uh, a miracle, the, the miracle <laughs> on Honda, possibly. Uh, Pierre Gasly seeming to pull the impossible out of both a Toro Rosso and a Honda engine with a fourth place finish. Um, in quality, great, <laughs> absolutely great. And then in the race, just calm and collected. Didn't seem all that phased. To be fair, the only fight he had on track was Lewis Hamilton, and he let him <laughs> pass within the, within within a second. Um, so it's probably not the most difficult race he'll ever have. Uh, but everything seemed to come together. Now, I guess the thing that you really say is is that all Pierre Gasly because Hartley was nowhere and was nowhere all week, all weekend really. Um, was there something new on one of those cars and not on the other? You know, did Gasly have some updates and stuff that have just happened to have come together, or is it one of those freaky Toro Rosso races where you know, having languished in the outside of the the top ten for races, they then turn up somewhere and then you know were traditionally about sort of sixth or seventh and seem to have an amazing car underneath them. I have no idea what the correct answer is. <laughs> Neither do I. Um, it is, I was, it's gobsmacking, really. Um, for not so much the Toro Rosso, because they do do this now and again, as you rightly say, but the, the Honda to be up there 
more than a Toro Rosso. We, we, you know, to see a Honda engine so comfortable in in fourth um, at this stage in the season, I, I absolutely didn't expect. What uh, I, I hadn't seen a lot of Pierre Gasly before he turned up in the Toro Rosso. So, yeah, I watched him. I watched him in GP two, um, and he's good. He's he's he is good. Um, so I would I would credit that. Um, and you know, you, I guess you've got to still give Brendan Hartley the fact that he's come from you know uh, closed wheel series into Formula One, whereas Gasly's been doing single seater right, you know, all the way through. Um, but he's definitely uh, in some some of what this. What he got out of the car is definitely him, um, but I, I think because they still weren't the fastest in the speed trap, so it's not like the engine was pumping out an extra load of speed, um, which is odd because you would consider um, Bahrain to be more of an engine circuit than um, Albert Park. Um, but if it isn't the engine, then it is the car which then makes you wonder why they didn't do any better in Australia, where the car should have been able to have made up for any any difference in the engine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the... Uh, we don't know the answer, really, at this stage. <laughs> I think, um, I think some, some of it you've got to go. It's still very early on this season. It's entirely possible that the likes of Renault and McLaren um, strapped on more downforce than they really need because that's where they're pushing their R&D. Toro Rosso have never been a big aero team because they don't have the budget for it. So maybe they've got a, you know, a fairly slippy car um, that suited the conditions of that track and the, the track layout more so than because um, it, it can't be, it literally can't be that the Honda engine is producing, <laughs> you know, um, more uh, more BHP than the Renault. It just is. It literally isn't possible. Um, but whatever, whatever way you look at it, and it feels like, like I guess I'm, I'm trying to make excuses for the other teams, but it's not really. It's just that you'd have to see whether that Toro Rosso pace continues throughout the season, and I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that it won't. Um, might be good in China, possibly, but I think you'll start to see the teams refining their packages better and knowing what they're going to bring for each circuit. Um, and Bahrain is a funny circuit. You know, it's one of the reasons why it's never been one of the greatest <laughs> Grand Prix in the world because it's it's almost neither neither aero or engine. It's all bits and pieces in between. So um, let, let's, let's see what they do. And, you know, I have no... You can have no qualms, can you? If Toro Rosso produced... Um, in the same way that Haas, if Haas and Toro Rosso have managed to produce the um, third and fourth best cars, uh, or fourth and fifth, maybe if you put Red Bull in front of them, then they've done an amazing job, and you can only congratulate them on it, you know. But it's very early in the season, and it's a very long season. Let's see. Let's see how it all pans out for the rest of the season. No, that's absolutely fair enough. Um... Jury's out, but crack and drive from Gasly. Mm. So, so the midfield then lots of lots of good scraps, wasn't there? Congested, wasn't it? Really, was the and it, it ebbed and flowed. I think was the thing is that 
you thought you knew where everything was, and then sort of a load of pit stops would happen, and you go, oh. Yeah, I got jumbled out about again. Is he really here, or is he not really here? Like, Van Dorn, basically last on the first lap, bar one, um, and then comes home in eighth. And it, for the whole entire race, you would look at him going, oh, well, he's like 11th or 10th or 12th or something like that. Um, and Alonso is massively far ahead of him. This is, you know, this isn't very good. And then by the time it all shook out, you know, he was he was closing in on Alonso, and you were just like, oh, really? Is that <laughs> is that how this is all working out? It didn't look like how that was going to happen. It's the same with same with Ericsson, really. Um, Part of the problem for me was the battle between Seb and Bottas was so sort of intense and going right down to the very last lap. For the last sort of 10, 15 laps, I was just constantly focusing on, okay, how far is Bottas behind Vettel now? Like looking at literally every every sector, every gap, is it going down by a tenth, two tenths? And I was so engrossed in that that I found it a little bit difficult to keep up with sort of what was going on in the midfield. So one minute I was like, oh, now Magnussen's in fifth. Oh, wait, now Hockenberg's in fifth. Oh, where's Van Dorn come from? And like, like you say, it was all kind of just a bit, oh, what's happening? Uh, until and then at the end, I've looked at the final result and gone, all right, so that's, that's how it finished. Cool. But it was tricky to, there was that much going on. It was kind of difficult to, to keep up. Ultimately, I think after qualifying, uh, that's a good result for McLaren in the end because the qualifying looked a bit, Ooh. a bit poor, shall we say? Was not good. Again, my my take on that one is more that they said that they didn't bring the car that they wanted to Australia. They brought the car that they wanted for Australia to Bahrain, <laughs> and I don't think that was the right car for Bahrain. <laughs> basically, um, there was some big. Um, I looked at some of the photos online. There was a massive change to all of the barge board structures around the side, so that was a there was a big update going in there. The race pace was good, so I think what they probably what they're again a bit like probably Renault will be looking at and looking to refine what they've got so that they have different packages that they can bring to the races. Probably at the moment they maybe have a high downforce and a low downforce option, possibly, or maybe not. Maybe they just have a package, but generally. Um, I think there's there's a refinement of what those teams have uh, from what they brought to Bahrain. The gaps were really interesting because Fernando was right on the on the tail of Hulkenberg coming up to the end, and I think the only reason he wasn't challenging more was Fernando got lapped and Hulkenberg didn't. Hulkenberg finished on the lead lap, so I suspect that as it came into the end part, Alonso probably lost um, six or seven tenths, having to let Bottas and uh Vettel through, possibly even Lewis as well. Um and that rather put paid to his his last attempts to get it. But it was it was close there. Van Dorn was only uh three seconds in the end down the road from Fernando, which I think is amazing. Um Marcus Ericsson in the Sauber what I've no understanding about how uh, that <laughs> how that's happened. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. Because he um... stayed out for ages and then did and then one stopped. And it didn't work for anybody else on track at all. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, Perez used to do stop... that. Well, he did, but... And the Sauber as well. So that Sauber's always kind of been a... Just stay out forever and see what happens. And occasionally they get a result and <laughs> they managed to get one here somehow. Um, I don't know, maybe... Was it maybe that he was just kind of keeping himself to himself and they were all squabbling and that helped to make up time maybe? I think the thing was that he did such a contra strategy and he was out so long at the start, so much longer that 
it got him so much so far in the field in clear air that I think his tyres just lasted that little bit longer. And when he came out, again, sort of same thing. He came out in a part of the track where not a lot was happening because there was that weird gap um, with Gasly and Magnussen. And that was weird as well, that Gasly and Magnussen seemed to be sort of together on track. And then everybody else seemed to be another sort of 20 seconds down the road. And I don't, you know, Grosjean never had anything like that kind of pace. And obviously Hartley didn't in the other the other Toro Rosso. So you're kind of thinking, how did those two sort of end up stretched out so far ahead of, of everybody else? Well, that's an interesting point that you make because you got the Toro Rosso, the Haas and the Renault of Hulkenberg all significantly um, further up the field than, than their teammates in Sainz, uh, Leclerc and Grosjean. Uh, sorry, not Leclerc. Um, what, 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 who am I thinking of? Hartley. Hartley's the Gasly's mm-hmm. teammate. So you And then you've got Ericsson as well. So there's like three or four cars there that have all massively outperformed the other car in the team, which is kind of interesting. Why is like why is that? <laughs> Normally you kind of see a two by two sort of thing with the pace of each team, you know. We'll give or take a position here or there, but in general, both cars for each team are quite closely matched and would we'll tend to finish more or less in and around each other. But this year you had Gasly fourth and partly nowhere. You had Magnussen fifth and Grosjean nowhere. And then you had Hulkenberg sixth. And Sainz, who ultimately finished 11th, but just never seemed to be able to get into that battle with the McLarens at any point. Um, so, yeah, it's just a bit funny. What do you put it down to? <laughs> I, I really, again, I, I really can't tell you. I can't tell you why Sainz and Grosjean... Yeah, why did they Perez. not have the pace of their of the teammates? You know, it's just no, strange. it was weird. I mean, I, I guess Perez, you can probably excuse from the fact that um, he got such a clonk and a turnaround. He was just, you know, I don't think his car was in the best way, but still, um, you know, Grosjean's car was falling to bits as well, wasn't it? About that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. It's just yeah. like I don't even because he, I don't remember him having contact with anybody. So no, did, he just really just fall to pieces, just disintegrated in midair. <laughs> No, after don't the... press that button, Roman. No, that's the, that's the <laughs> basketball eject button. After the pit stops in Melbourne, it's not really a good look for them, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, not really. Yeah, so, but I mean, that, it tends to make for quite good racing when it's like that. And when, you know, all the midfield can kind of finish in any order and it's not just, oh, here's the two McLarens, then the two Renaults, then the two Hasses, which we sometimes get, certainly in the last couple of seasons. So if, if it stays like that, you know, and, and, and anywhere from 5th to 15th, can all beat each other, then that will make for some some cracking racing going forward for sure. Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm mm. excited about the midfield battle more than I think I am the the front, just because uh, there's so much propensity for uh, a lot of overtaking from cars, which I think are going to a bit like in the old days with the old uh, tire war, where you you know certain tracks favoured certain cars. Yeah. I think we'll we'll see that a lot more. Um, okay, yeah. That. Uh, you know, a car will turn up in in China next week, and we'll go. Oh, suddenly the Force India is on it this time. I wonder. You know, do we understand why why that is? No, but <laughs> it, you know. Yeah, I think we touched on that um, on the last show, but that it just looks like the Renault and the McLaren could be very closely matched all the way right to the to the death of the season. Um, difficult to say who's who's brought the better car so far this year, um, but you got. Alonso, Van Dorn, Hulkenberg and Sainz, four very capable 
very capable drivers. So we could be on for some excellent midfield battles between between those two teams. And then if you've got the other guys pitching in as well, certainly a reason to be optimistic in there. Looks like there's reason to be optimistic up front. Looks like there's reason to be optimistic in the midfield. What we got to complain about? Not very much, it seems, which is very unusual for us. I have, um, I have, I have one. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the Williams. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> what, uh, what, what do we say? <laughs> I don't know if there is anything to say, really, is it? It just seems to be... Rubbish. That is exactly where they are. And, uh, I, I don't see how they are going to arrest that slide anytime soon and no. not with Stroll and Sorokin in the car. I mean, the yeah. Sauber outperformed them with relative ease this week. It looks as if they are, what, possibly the worst car on the grid? If the Sauber, uh, I'd if say. The Sauber, if the Sauber's better than them, um, that leaves pretty much no one else. <laughs> yeah, if the Sauber has managed to make what it seems to be a drivable car, which has been their big problem across the seasons, is I think less, you know, the, the, the bad engines haven't helped, but I don't think the car has been drivable. But if they've managed to, you know, put together something that, works after a fashion um then they've got the ferrari engine and stuff in there that's um look at it this way ninth and 12th for cyber this week 14th and 15th for williams that's two cars comprehensively outperforming two other cars and you'd have to say um that there should be more to come from leclerc as he gets a bit more experience through the season so his performances could improve yeah absolutely this doesn't look like sorokin and stroll are able to to take that car, as I've already touched on in, in previous shows, and, and, and drive it on. I just don't see how they can go anywhere other than, at best, stay where they are, and at worst, probably go back the way. You know, they might they might have some better results on on circuits that are more engine-dependent, possibly, but then it makes you... You have to worry, don't you, really, that um, they've built a worse chassis than Sauber. Yep. You know. <laughs> that's not good at all. Um, thinking about people who should complain, um, Verstappen and Ricardo probably have um, a couple of reasons. Do you not think? Yeah, I mean, game over for the entire team by lap three, wasn't it? So, not um, not great. Sometimes happens, I suppose, in this sport. These these freak thing happens. You have a couple of technical problems on both cars, and you're out of the race. Like, I'm sure they'll be back. I'm sure they'll bounce back from from this and. There'll be good results to come, but you just have to take the rough with the smooth. Sometimes mm. the cars break down. Um, I think I think Ricardo yeah. had the worst luck, didn't he? Because his car literally just sort of turned itself off mid corner, didn't it? You know, he yeah, was just going around electronic gear, think, and then yeah. and then gone. It's like uh, somebody it... unpulled the plug, literally, yes. and just everything cut out. Yeah. Um, Max's one was. Was it engine? Was it or was it? Uh, no, he punched, punctured, didn't he? And then I, I knew he punctured, I, but I, I didn't I think, think that, I didn't look that was if that was related or not. Um, well, they got him out again, so they I assume they looked at the floor and thought it was fine. But I, I, you have to ima- imagine that it's all related. That whatever went wrong was was down to everything in there because he, you know, he went around the track and then and then sort of pulled off. It wasn't. Um, you know, he got to the escape road and stuff. It wasn't the same as, mm-hmm. as Danny Ricks. So, um, but that's that's two races for for Red Bull where they've really not been able to maximise anything on the on the promise they had of decent qualifying and supposed better race pace. 
Yep, it's not the start they wanted, that's for sure. Um, they're already going to be significantly behind the other two teams. I worry a little bit they're going to end up in that no-man's land that they sort of found themselves in last season where they're comfortably ahead of pretty much all the midfield but can't get close to the Ferrari and the Mercedes. And then you It's a big shame because you've got two guys like Danny Ricciardo and Max Verstappen who arguably two of the most exciting wheel-to-wheel racers. And they can't actually show that because they're just 10, 15 seconds behind the next team up the road, but 10, 15 seconds in front of the next team behind them. Yeah. So they're just going to meander through the season being third and fourth or fourth, fourth and fifth all year, which is a bit rubbish um, for a neutral fan and for obviously the team involved. So I hope I hope this is just a, a minor blip and that they show some, some good pace in China. It'd be good for this. A competitive Red Bull is certainly good for good for the sport. Absolutely. So I think that um, that takes us nicely to the end of our race review episode. Um, we will be back next time with our uh, hashtag F1 Banter Show, the new episode uh, format that we're we're trialing this season. It seems to have gone down well from our first episode. So. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for listening to this episode. Keep your ears peeled. I was going to say, say keep your eyes peeled then, which makes no sense for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but keep your ears peeled for the next episode, which will be coming out uh, in a couple of days' time, um, in between now and uh, China. So probably like maybe even the day after, possibly we release this episode. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening. And on behalf of myself and Sean, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.